We all have a point at which we are willing to quit, to give up on the task which we are trying to accomplish. That task can be a mental one, it can be emotional, or as this old, or as this old coach is accustomed to, it's going to be a physical task. Getting my athletes to that quitting point was absolutely essential to the training that I put them through. In order to reach their peak performance, it was a necessary accomplishment. I'm Coach Strive, and on my mind for this episode is quitting and how important it is to get to that point. Not only do I believe it is important for us to be able to give it our all to the point where we can go on no longer, I also believe that the willingness to get there has diminished in our society significantly over the last four decades. I have reasons for why I believe this is happening, and that's what you're going to hear about on this episode of the Old Man's Podcast. Get off my grass! Welcome, welcome to the Old Man's Podcast. I'm thrilled to be able to spend about a half hour with you each and every week. Thank you for being here. Incidentally, reminder, I now have exclusive subscription episodes. Putting out about one a week. If I get enough subscribers, of course, I'll accommodate you guys and do more. Ultimately, if the subscriber base is high enough, I can do one a day. The subscription service is so I uh, feel like I have a little more freedom, talk about the topics that are controversial, use the kind of language that many of you who know me are used to, and I'm not going to do that on the old man's podcast, normal podcast. But if you're willing to pay, get this, $1.99 a month. If you can buck up and do that, then you tell me by doing that that you're not worried. Your sensibilities are not going to be insulted. You won't get triggered by anything I have to say. So that's what that's all about. If you want to link to the subscription service so you can get signed up for that, best way to do it, the easiest way to do it is through my website on PodPage. Go to PodPage, find the Old Man's Podcast. I have a link there. I also have a link to the subscription service on my Old Man's Podcast Facebook page. So you can find that there as well. Both of those are probably the two easiest ways to do this. You can get it through any app that you're listening to this podcast on. You might have to dance through a few hoops. That's why I'm saying those two methods would be your quickest and probably your easiest. So what is on this week's episode? On my mind will be quitting. Let me just tell you more about it. Don't quit on me. Stay there. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how important getting to the point of quitting is. We're going to work on our mindset for happiness. And this week, a favorite topic of mine, goal setting working towards goals. This will be a great topic to talk about. I remember when we used to spend our money differently. I'm not just talking about post-pandemic versus pre-pandemic. I'm going to go back in time about when we used to pay things. Well, we used to pay for them differently. And a funny thing has happened. This one involves a anxiety disorder known as agoraphobia. Not going to incite anger by making fun of people with agoraphobia. But I do have a funny story. 
it involves what I think is agoraphobia. Here we go on this episode of the Old Man's Podcast. On the old man's mind this week is quitting. It stems from a conversation I had with a former athlete who's an adult now, and we were just kind of reliving some of the old training methods I used, and he uh, really remembered how challenging and how difficult many of the tasks that I put my boys through were. And he finally understood why it was necessary for me to do that with them. At the time, he did what he was told, but he didn't really understand what was going on. And that's a 17-year-old's mind. You don't really care about the why. You just want to do the what. What are you going to ask me to do? Now, as an adult with kids of his own, he definitely could understand why it was I was asking them to do what they did. And I think getting to the point of being willing to quit, it translates exceptionally from athletics to life. And I think in a lot of ways, it kind of defines our life. Life is beating us up, trying to get us to quit whatever it is we want to do. My objective for my teams was to develop superior mental toughness. I felt that with superior mental toughness, we could outlast our opponent, that my guy's quitting point would be beyond that of their opponent. So if their opponent had better technique, if their opponent was stronger, if their opponent was just a better athlete, if I could get my guys to push their opponents to the point that they were willing to quit, then all bets were off. And we had a lot of success with that. We had a lot of underdogs win because of that mental toughness. I didn't realize this as an athlete. It's the same thing Coach Lipinski did with me when I was in high school. It's the same thing my college coaches were doing, just pushing us, getting that mental toughness through scheduling and through tough, tough practices. I didn't realize it when I was in it. But once I had to conduct, once I had to control, once it was my program, found, and you probably will not argue with me, the mind gives up long before the body, especially if you're talking about a 16, 17, 18 year old kid. Their physical conditioning can be exceptional. It's the mind that quits first. The physical nature of the human body is very, very tough. It's the mind that's willing to quit before the body really has to. That's mental toughness, right? And I think it's more difficult to achieve than the physical strength, the conditioning toughness. The mind quits long before the body is what I'm saying. It's this mental toughness, I believe, that separates out people. It comes down to determination. It comes down to willpower. All of these things, we all know it. Every adult listening to this can second me on this one. Mental toughness is determination. And that's going to separate out people. Some are just going to quit before the others. I've noticed through the years, however, that that bar for whatever a person's top level of mental toughness is, has collectively lowered. I feel like the kid I coached in the 80s and 90s both understood and realized that he needed this mental toughness. 
That kid bought wholeheartedly into what I was training them for to move their quitting point beyond what their opponent could get to. As we moved into the 2000s, I thought that changed a bit. That mental toughness became less important to the athletes. I found many kids still believed me and they thought they bought into this mental toughness. But here's the problem. They thought they were already there. Kids who weren't mentally tough as they could be. They were mentally tough to some level, but they had a lot farther they could go. In the 2000s, they didn't feel like they needed to go any farther. They felt like they were already there. That athlete of the 80s and 90s, I'm saying, wanted me to push them beyond where they were. In the 2000s, it started changing. Now, not all the kids, okay? I was fortunate most of the kids I coached in the uh, mid-2000s anyway were really willing to take on those challenges and wanted to become mentally tougher. That student-athlete population in the last 20 years, they thought they were already at a high level of mental toughness and they are not. I saw more and more examples of how mental toughness training was ineffective. I tried to work on toughness with these young athletes. They didn't take to it. It didn't work on the contemporary athlete. The parents didn't back you on that, and the athletes didn't feel like it was necessary. Why? I think it's because of all the positive reinforcement, the way that they had been raised. They're all told that they were good. They were told that they were tough. So much positive reinforcement makes that kid think he's at the place he needs to be. He doesn't have to improve in that regard, being the mental toughness. I'm certainly not saying they're lazy. And I'm certainly not saying all of them think that they're tough as they can be. That's not true. Some do not. But many, maybe even most, do think they're as tough as they need to be. Two decades into this new century, I see mental toughness of young people. It continues to evolve. I don't really like where it's going. The athlete now pretty much doesn't feel like mental toughness is important. At least they don't exhibit the desire to become more mentally tough. They want to become technically better. They want to become stronger. They want to become faster. They don't see the mental part. They don't understand how that works. They are more concerned then about the technique. And that's honestly, that's really the easy part. Drilling, practicing, pitching, hitting, catching, throwing, whatever it is that you're doing, that's the fun part. The mental toughness, the frankly torture that gets you to the point where you want to quit, that's the hard part. Again, I'm not saying that the contemporary kid is lazy. They're not. They'll spend enormous amounts of time practicing on this technique. It's just that mental toughness really doesn't concern the current athlete because he thinks, or I guess she, I haven't coached girls for a while, just on the boys, he thinks he's already got it. He thinks that because his parents have been telling him, you're there, you're tough, you're good, you're awesome. All that positive reinforcement. Their youth coach tells them the same thing. You got it. You're tough. You're good. You're going to be something special. You're going to make it to the big time. You may be asking yourself, why do I care? I'm not a coach. I was never an athlete. Why are you yapping at me about athletes? Well, simple answer is 
This is a group within this population of youth that can be easily measured, at least by me anyway. If it's true, athletes are backing away from mental toughness training. What are the non-athletes, the kids in fine arts and the kids that just are in school, the kids are just in life. It's from where I sit, I see that segment of the world more clearer because I've been with them, worked with them, and it's just the tip of the iceberg, I know, but I'm looking at an iceberg, and what's below the water is the same thing I'm seeing at this tip. From where I sit, the world looks to be moving to less toughness because society is just not interested in this mental toughness. Kids are nicer, they're just as dedicated, and they're noticeably more talented but they're adverse to failure. They're really adverse to risk-taking. They don't want to do anything that might result in a loss and failure. They're not all that interested in trying new things or taking a chance on anything that could possibly lead to failure. Failure is such a horrible concept that they will do anything to avoid it. And that is a problem because most of the best lessons any of us ever learn is from failure. So if we're not taking on these new tasks, if we're not willing to take risks that may lead to failure, we're not really learning a whole lot. Nothing good can come out of taking the easy road. And again, I'm not saying these kids are lazy. I'm not saying they want the easy road. They're on this road that involves hours of practice time, drill, 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 lots of technique, lots of technique. They're not interested or getting the mental toughness training. That's what I mean by not the easy road. Mental toughness training is difficult. My ex-wrestlers that are listening to this know what the Rambo run was. They know what the champ drill was. They know what white flag day was. I had a day where I tortured them till every single one of them quit at some point. Now they know. They know what their quit point is. And the idea was to keep pushing that forward to get tougher and tougher and tougher. And until you got to the point that you were willing to quit, you were never going to find out what your toughness bar could get to. Not all the kids these days, but I gotta say most. That's what our society has been teaching and expecting of them. That mental toughness just isn't that important anymore. I remember when we used to pay for things differently. And I remember that quite fondly. Just the other day, I had to write a check for the first time in I don't know how long. I Seriously, I think it's been years. We were signing up for a country line dance class at the local community college. And I could save $2.50 on the registration fee by not using the electronic means of signing up. I could send it in the mail and it was cheaper. That's crazy, right? It should be the other way around. I don't know how that works, but that's the way it worked. So sending it in the mail meant writing a check. The first thing I had to do was spend, seriously, three days trying to find the checkbook. That's how long it's been since either one of us had written a check. Don't need a checkbook anymore. And it got put away and I finally found the drawer that it was in the bottom of 
dug it out and had like three checks left in it. So now I got to order more checks. One set of checks might last me the rest of my life. Paying for things was much different. And I don't mean just before the pandemic when cash had to go the way of the woolly mammoth. I mean, I'm talking decades ago. I've recently started using my phone to pay for things at stores. You guys probably already do that. I have uh, Android phones, so I use Google Pay, but I know there's like Apple Pay too. I don't even have to have my wallet with me. All I have to do is have my phone when I go shopping. Take my phone, go to Google Pay, bada boom, bada bing, and it's paid for. It's kind of nice. And then I get an email or a text, maybe both, that tells me what I just did. I don't have to have my wallet with me when I go shopping. All I need is that it's getting to be way too much important telephone. Not even a telephone anymore. It's just a device. If I have my device, I'm good to go. I was wondering doing that if there was going to be a opportunity to overspend. It just seems like using your phone, of course, debit card would be the same thing. It just seems like it's too easy and I could get to where I'm spending more money on things that I would really, really want to. Because when I pay cash, I watch it go. I take the money out of my wallet and I give it to somebody. I mean, I can really literally feel it going away from me. It's going away. I can see it. It's not something electronic or nebulous like a debit card or now my phone. So I think I'm more cautious with my spending habits when I use cash and I will continue to use cash. Much to the chagrin of a drive-through worker that I experienced last week. I went through the drive-through and the order taker, whatever that job description is called, asked if I was using the app. She wanted to know if I was going to pay on the app. I guess that kind of thing happens a lot. I told her no, I was using cash and I said that with pride. When I got to the window, she wanted $6.53. I only had a 10, but I had a ton of change rattling around in the car. I wanted to get rid of it. So I gave her the 10 that I had and 53 cents. So I paid for the $6.53 order with a $10 bill and 53 cents. So I was looking to get $4 back, right? Doesn't that make sense? Well, that kind of blew her mind. It was just too much for her to think of. And I know she doesn't deal with cash all the time. She just punches numbers on a cash register and there you go. So clearly she hit 10 on the cash register and it told her to give me back $3.47. That's changed from the 10. She still got me that 53 cents. Remember I gave her? I was looking for four $1 bills. Nah, it didn't work that way. She was polite about it. She handed me, after giving me the $3.47, she gave me back the same 53 cents I had given to her. She just looked at me and smiled. She had no idea what was going on. I'm sure she was convinced I somehow screwed up by giving her too much money. Oh well, lesson learned. I didn't try to work her through the problem. I did get the $4 I was looking for. It just added more change to my car than I already had. And that was not what I was looking for. So what's the future going to be? I don't know. They're going to put a chip in like your index finger and you just wave your finger over some kind of electronic thing to pay money. I don't know where all this is going, but like so many other stories I've told you, I do remember when we paid for things differently and it was just so much more simple.
right, people, gather around. Coach has got a pep talk for you. Happiness is a mindset, and it's a mindset that's difficult to achieve. The easy road is to be miserable, to complain, to gripe. That's what human beings do naturally. We're just great complainers. What we need to do is reset our mindset to be not complaining, but to be grateful, to not look at the glass as being half empty, but to see even one drop of water as that glass is almost full. When we can get our mindset arranged like that, then we can achieve true happiness. Now, I've been threatening to talk about this for quite some time, and I thought now would be a good time to do it. Goals. Goals are important. I have goals. I hope you have goals. I'm sure you do. In my mind, every human being on earth has a set of goals. They're professional goals, things that they want to do personally. I think that's the only way our life can really, really go if it's ever going to go smooth. It's going to go that way because we are setting goals. We have a path. We have a direction. We know where we're trying to get to. I have a quote from Thomas Edison, you know, Thomas Edison, right? American inventor. Show me a thoroughly satisfied man and I will show you a failure. Wow, that's awesome. Show me a thoroughly satisfied man and I will show you a failure. I will rephrase this to be, show me a thoroughly satisfied man or woman and I will show you a failure. So what Thomas Edison is saying is we should never be happy with where we're at. We want to continue to improve. We want to be what they call lifelong learners. And this is what setting goals can do. I think all too often we run into failure when we set this super lofty goal. I want to, let's just say, climb Mount Everest as an example. Now, that's the ultimate goal. You can't really get any higher than that if you're a mountain climber. What Thomas Edison is proposing in this quote, what I read out of it anyway, is that you use a series of benchmarks that will ultimately get you to your goal of wanting to climb Mount Everest. That's a good goal. But how about you do Kilimanjaro first? How about you do Mount Fuji first? How about you do Mount St. Helens when it's not blowing up? Do something in the Rockies. Work your way there. Take smaller steps early. That's what goals are. They're like rungs in a ladder that'll get you to the top. You don't go from zero to top. You work your way there. So that's the first thing I'd like to say about goals. Set them as benchmarks to get you step by step. Whenever I ask somebody what their goals are and they kind of stutter for an answer, whether it's their professional life or their personal life, that would concern me. Setting goals helps us understand where it is we're going because taking a path, a destination, is an easy thing to say. But when you articulate it and formulize it in your mind, it makes it real. It makes it tangible. It makes it a place that you can go to. Equally as important, it allows you to determine how far you've gotten. See yourself beginning to accomplish the goals that you ultimately want to get to. That only encourages you. That only boosts your desire to continue doing well. So that is very, very important right there. The difference between where you are now and where your goal is 
tells you how much farther it is that you have to go. And that's where the desire comes in from the last episode. Having the desire to achieve those goals will be articulated in your mind if you can see that you're making progress. Opportunity is probably something that slows us all down. We don't see that we have the opportunity to accomplish that goal. But a lack of opportunity, or what we interpret to be a lack of opportunity, is often nothing more than us lacking purpose or direction. So you might be thinking or saying, or you may have friends that do this, I just never had the chance to do this. I wish I could get the chance to do that. That's not really what it is. It's not a lack of opportunity, it's a lack of purpose. If you have purpose in your life, and that's what goals do, you'll find the opportunity. Opportunities will emerge from your attitude. And if for no other reason, goals are important so that you find the opportunities, you make the opportunities to accomplish the things that you really want to accomplish. Let's be honest. If you don't know where you're going, how are you ever going to know when you get there? Yay! It's time to play Engage Your Brain. I love doing this every week as a reminder that we need to do something like this each and every day to keep us sharp mentally. Yes, even young people, nothing wrong with setting good habits now. So what we do is each episode we play a little trivia. I give you five questions, try to challenge you. This week's going to be pretty difficult. Very first question, here we go. What was the first message sent by Morse code? This is really a quintessential trivia question. I've actually had this question come up in trivia contests. The first message sent by Morse code was, What hath God wrought? That was the first message in Morse code. I don't know what the answer was. That would be interesting to know too. That's a good question. All right, question number two. The Empress of the Blues. This singer was known as the Empress of the Blues. If you're um, interested in music, if you feel like you know a few things about music, this is a challenge for you. This is a very well-known blues artist. Her name was Bessie Smith. The Empress of the Blues, Bessie Smith. It's been tough, right? Who plays board games anymore? Probably play this on your computer, maybe, before you played a board game. Monopoly. Monopoly is one of the most popular board games of all time. Here's a simple question about Monopoly. How many properties are located on the Monopoly board? You can do the math on this if you're thinking how many on each side, because it's equal each of the four sides has the same number of properties. The number of properties on the Monopoly board? The answer is 28. Okay, those are pretty hard. This one I'm going to say is darn near impossible. If you know this answer, I am so impressed. The very first ever gold record. What musician was awarded the very first ever gold record, meaning 
he achieved a certain status, whatever gold is, for the number of record sales. Do you know who that was? You're going to have heard of him, but you're not going to believe this was the first guy. You ready? Perry Como. Uh-huh. Perry Como got the first gold record. I would never have gotten that, and if you did, I am so impressed. Oh, man, that's just a, this is a hard one. Let's do one more. When was Diet Coke introduced in the United States? Now, my book has given me an actual date. I'm not, that's crazy, right? I'm going to ask that you can give me the year for Diet Coke. Well, let's go plus or minus. Come on, let's be fair here. If you can get it within three years, one way or the other, I think you did really well. Diet Coke was introduced to the United States in August 9th, if you want to know an exact date, but the year 1982. So what I'm saying is, if you have anything between 79 and 85, count yourself correct. Look, you're grading your own papers here, right? So if you want to say you got all five of them right, you're not hurting me. What do I care? I'll admit, those are five tough questions. I think if you got one of them right, you did real good. But the main thing you need to get right is to make sure each and every day you do something to engage your brain. Yeah, a funny thing happened to me. Yeah, crazy, right? Seems like that always is the case. That's just because I want to look at the funny side of life. If you're not laughing your way through this life, then you're missing out on a really great experience. So I'd encourage you to do the same thing. You know, it'd be great as you got older, your life got easier, but it doesn't really work that way. There's no guarantees for sure that it ever will get easier. In some ways, getting older, life is harder. I'm not just talking about pain. I'm talking about all the crap that you have to deal with. It's just that there's so many things, I guess, that are out of our control. And the longer you live, the more things you bump into that are completely out of your control. Have you ever heard of agoraphobia? I don't know, am I even saying agoraphobia correctly? What I'm trying to say is the fear of going outside. It is a real debilitating anxiety condition. It's a thing. People are afraid to go into environments that are not very comfortable with them. Don't worry, it's treatable, mostly with medication. And I can just generalize as saying they're afraid to go outside. There's more to it than that. But for purposes of this discussion, agoraphobia is a fear to go outside. Now, if you have somebody in your life that has agoraphobia and they're afraid to go outside, that's a problem for the entire family. That's what I mean by you can't always control what's going on around you. So in my life, I do indeed have someone afflicted with this debilitating anxiety disorder, agoraphobia. The one in my life that has agoraphobia, it's our dog. Mm -hmm. Our dog is afraid to go outside. That's a pretty serious problem, isn't it? My dog is afraid to go outside. Crazy, right? That's what dogs do. That's where the bathroom is. You don't ask the dog, do you have to go to the potty? You ask the dog, do you want to go outside? So if you have a fear of going outside, it's going to be a problem. My dog is a seven-pound chihuahua who 
as long as there's windows between her and everything else, is a fearless bully. But once she gets outside, squirrels, squirrels are demon monsters. I've even seen that dog afraid of, at least appear to be afraid of, a butterfly. Yeah, this dog, its own shadow would probably scare it. She's going to act all hard and bark her head off. But as soon as something comes towards her, eh, game's over. I got to find a place to hide. We got a lot of squirrels in the back right now. And that dog, when I try to get her to go outside, has no interest. What could be worse than a dog afraid to go outside? Not much. And that's what I mean. As you get older, your life should get easier, but you can't control other people or other beings, in this case, a dog. What am I going to be able to do about it? I have to put up with it, I have to deal with it, I have to make adjustments. Life does not necessarily get easier the older you get. All right. Well, I got to go. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I really enjoyed presenting it to you. I hope you take my words of encouragement about setting goals to heart. Setting goals is very important. And you can write them down if you want. That's a real popular thing to do. But I think it's probably better just to commit it to memory. Make sure these goals are benchmarks, right? Step by step by step to get to the ultimate goal. It's very important in our life, no matter how old we are. Young people, you old people, everybody in between, it doesn't really matter. Goals are a part of living a happy life. If you can accomplish your goals, well, wouldn't that make you happy? That's a mindset to happiness right there. Follow me on Facebook at the Old Man's Podcast page. Find it, like it. Visit my website on PodPage. The Old Man's Podcast has a page on PodPage. Find it. Look at it. I don't know. Look that up for more information on what's going on with this Old Man's Podcast. Hey, you guys have a great week. I'm sure you will. Be safe out there. and Remember to live, love, and play. Boldly. Get off my grass! Damn kids.